Welcome to Blossoming Season Podcast, and I am your host, Dana Taylor. Season two is all about men's vulnerability and their journey to self-love. I'll be having conversations with men from different walks of life from across the globe. We'll be unpacking everything from masculinity, what does that look like, childhood traumas, relationships with parents, fatherhood, sex, spirituality, deep healing, grief, adultery, child abuse, financial instability, and the list goes on. For all of the men who have participated, thank you so much. We shall be releasing episodes every Wednesday, 7pm BST time. On that note, enjoy everyone. There is truly so much to learn. Today's episode is with Mr. Dwayne Goodson, former soldier, former policeman, father, husband, life coach, author, believer and follower of Christ, and in Dwayne's words, be the change. Be the change. As he keeps saying, be the change. In this episode, Dwayne does not hold back. Buckle up. It is so much fun and there is so much to be unpacked. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the show, Dwayne. Um, welcome to the episode of Blossoming Season, which is the special series or for men and vulnerability and expressing their emotions freely. And um, yes, we met on the wonderful Clubhouse. And, yeah. I, would, uh, um, <laughs> and I would love to share more with a wider audience about your journey and how do you see vulnerability and what, and what is vulnerability to you absolutely um first of all thanks for um for for humbling me and allowing me to grace your stage um i think it's absolutely important that men learn not only what vulnerability is but how it looks individually to them um i think that when we refuse to be vulnerable in life we we actually stun our growth and, and we stunt growth of all those connected to us. So we got to get into these moments and, and make it gut-wrenching, but make it worth it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, there's such a stigma in our society. And thank you so much for coming. I'm very appreciative of this um, to really share and, and change what's happening in our society at the moment because so many men are crippled by their mental health it's becoming so debilitating and they don't know how to reach out because of shame and fear and um it's I guess it's something that's very close to my heart indeed mm-hmm. because I've watched people even within my own family become debilitated with their own mental health and trying to find their feet again but just being so scared to to say I need help 
and even in a loving family that can be the case so where does that come from what I wanted to know oh, oh were you going to interject okay what what I wanted to find out is from you is what's your journey look like in terms of you know expressing yourself emotionally as a man and if we can start from like your childhood what that looked like in and work our way through um growing up I, I grew up in a, a rural town in the southern part of the United States South Carolina mm-hmm. and um my my family's my family's like most um, African Americans are descended from slaves. So that and initially it shapes the way the family dynamic was, which everything was hush hush secret. You don't let out what's hurting you. Um, you don't let anybody into your walls. Um, and and that starts it. Um, so with that being said, um, fast forward two generations. And my mother, she's she's a single parent, and we don't have um, the the daddy figure. Now I have older brothers who who play a role, but um, I'm seeing the same thing that they saw. So it, it didn't it didn't solidify anything, but this, uh, a little more of that old um, what's the the old phrase? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm. So, so yeah, we were getting older and I was getting mature, got a little bass in my voice, um, got a little hair on my face, but still the same image that I saw growing up was the image that they saw growing up, which was the same thing. Um, it wasn't until I got a little older where I started to notice some problems with the way I saw things. So I think you you hit it on the nail because that imagery that you see as a child, that helps shape and create the person that you become. So when you don't see men being vulnerable, when you don't see men being sensitive, when you don't see men being able to, to let go of the ego and, um, and being to make stuff work, when you don't see that, that's what you become. So I, I think it's important that we go back and not only that we go back once we hit this, this apex, if you will, and once, we, once we've achieved a level of maturity that we've changed, it's, it's our responsibility to go back and, and show these wounds and these scars to people who are going through it so they don't have to end up walking the same path we walked. This is so true. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen a running theme of... Uh, men who have not had father figures and that makes a huge impact it feels on a lot of men's lives going forward and um I know that your mom was a single mother but what I wanted to find out is what the relationship is like there in terms of that level of affection and um just kind of reassurance and that whole um saying like a woman can't raise a man like where you know how how does that kind of fit into your to your life into your world well I, first of all i like to shout out all single mothers out there mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot it, it takes a lot and and you get credit from a handful of people but society at large don't really understand what it takes or what they what they've gone through or sacrificed mm-hmm. to to do the job that they've done um but with that being said um a single mother can she can do an amazing job raising her son and giving the love that a woman is supposed to give, showing the nurturing side, um, showing the loyal side, showing how you take a little bit and make a lot. 
Um, I'm not relegating those things only to women, but I think we can mostly agree that women take that role and they and they carry it and they burden it like it's easy. They make it look easy. Mm-hmm. Um, not having what my mom did is she realized that she couldn't be my father. Um, and she never tried. Now, discipline times, there was a handful of times where she she had to get grown woman on me, but she couldn't be a man. Um, but she did a great job positioning us around men that could do what she couldn't do. Right. Um, sometimes it was as simple as calling her older brother over. Um, and even though he was uncle, when he came over, it was like that respect instantly clicked. Like, you knew uncle put hands on you. It's like, okay, uh, there, there was, and then we, we saw, I saw him working, but I didn't see him working. Saw it from a distance. So I knew that based on the way his life was that um, he had some success. So I could see from a distance those things that were successful, but I didn't get a chance to see it every day, like getting up early every morning. Like those are things that I saw from my mom. So there were things I was able to glean from my mom, but, but how to love a woman, I couldn't get that from my mom because she was a woman. Um, I, I, I understood the backside of it. I understood how important or the action or non-action by me. And I, I understood how important that was. But um, no, I, those are things I couldn't see from my mom. Um, how, how, to, how to say I'm sorry to a woman. I never saw a man do that um, until I was maybe 15, 16. So um, I got a chance to see it. But still, this is me learning probably 14, 15 years past the time that I should have seen it. Like if you see these things from birth, by the time you're nine, 10, it's second nature. You're like, yeah, like with me and my wife, my, my kids look at me and, and they're like, y'all gross. And I'm like, <laughs> no, this is how it's supposed to be. So it's, it's those, those little things that they, they translate to huge things when, when you're older and in, in intimate relationships. Oh, that's amazing. That's beautiful though, to hear that. How many children do you have? Oh my goodness, I got six girls and a boy. Oh wow. Oh, how wonderful. There went the hair and that's why the gray is in there. <laughs> I love them to death though. Oh, that's wonderful. So they get to truly see that level of affection and love and the, the beautiful dynamics of a healthy relationship, and that's wonderful. Well, not all of them because I, I am divorced um and remarried. So I have two daughters that don't live in the same house with me. And it's a, and, and in the same vein, it's, it's difficult because now that relationship takes effort because it's outside of my everyday norm, like waking up, opening my eyes. I don't get a chance to see that with them. So that is sheer effort. And it makes it harder. It, it, it does because life gets busy. They, they get older they they get a life um they play sports they have friends um then mom has her life and so finding a way to meet those two um for everything to meet in the middle it, it gets a little difficult um but it's it's effort that you absolutely like in this household i don't have to worry about it because when i wake up it's like hey daddy what's for breakfast hey daddy can we can we do this can i have that so it's it's like effortless um but at any rate 
um, they, they get a chance to see it. Um, my older daughters, they, they get a chance to see what a broken man looks like and a man that admits to, hey, I messed up. We messed up. We were too young for this. We didn't know what we were doing. We thought we were ready and yeah, we, we were young and stupid. Um, my children that's in the house when they get to see the matured version of that. So some of the things that my older children may have issues with with me, they won't see those issues because I've learned as I've grown. So mm-hmm. vulnerability, it, it every every stage in life, every stage in your relationships, um, I think you can value you can give, I can tell you the value of a relationship by how vulnerable you are in that relationship. Mm, very true. This is very true, isn't it? Because um, that level of vulnerability really shows that how much you, how much you care, how much you want that, um, how much you love and how much you are prepared to, to give another human being. And um, I'm intrigued by, you know, because obviously it's a level of intimacy and that dynamic between your two older daughters. I mean, have you had those level of conversations with them? Have you had them come into the home for a bit or come in holidays? I just, I'm just intrigued. I've, I've, I've had, I've had to have the conversations and believe me, everything about men, like we get a bad, not a bad rap. We're misunderstood. Like a lot of women like to think that men men aren't sensitive. We we don't feel we don't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we're 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 masters at hiding stuff. Mm. Um, we're we're masters at at holding it in and then blowing off steam in all the wrong areas. Um, and it's not healthy. This is why you gotta be vulnerable because look, when it comes to my like, I look at all of my daughters as my babies, and when it comes to my babies, like. That's the one thing that, regardless of how messed up I am, is still the best of me, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's my responsibility to make sure that they understand that. So when me and mom had rocky times and we couldn't, we were staying in two um, two different time zones, so um, she made it hard. The kids get out of they they go to sleep at eight, and it's five o'clock. When I get off, and it's five o'clock when I get off, um, it, it's one of those things that literally it became an argument. So the easiest thing to do was to kind of pull away. And when I pulled away, it it never felt good, but I, I had some peace. But the peace wasn't it wasn't worth the relationship. It wasn't worth it. My bad. I, I had to turn my phone on. Do not disturb. I apologize. Um, but yeah, I, I had to. Um, we we got to a point where literally everything that that occurred during that during those moments tended to push us further apart. So fast forward five years down the line. My daughters, they see me in a way because I've only been child support to them. Mm. Or um, so those questions come up and and we like to, what's the word, shield our kids from from reality. Mm-hmm. And when we when we do that, 
what happens is we set them up for failure because now they don't understand what's out there and what their parents actually went through, that it wasn't just we didn't work out um, or your daddy was a dog because your daddy could have been a dog, but your daddy could have been a dog with reasons. Like your daddy could have got fleas over here and he was like a dog and started roaming elsewhere. Uh, um, but when you're, when you're not completely honest with, with them in, in those moments, in those times, you're setting them up for failure. You're sending them out in the world knowing exactly what's out there, but you're lying to them. I mean, we like to say shield, but we're lying to them mm-hmm. because we're putting on this face. And um, I don't I don't want to set my daughters up for failure because I was kind of savage when, when I was younger. I was honest, but I was I was savage. And the last thing I want is for my daughters to run into a dude like I used to be. Uh-huh. I'm with you. I'm with you. And what I want to find out is where where do you feel that savageness came from? Where where was that? It was a combination. Um uh, going going back to um going back to the childhood thing, single parent. My father, like I said, he wasn't around. Um, the town that I lived in was about 6,800 people. Uh-huh. Um, one of those places everybody knew everybody. But I can count on one hand how many times I saw my father growing up. Um, so that created a void. And I remember the first time I got told that you're pretty smart by a teacher. You, uh-huh. you, you, um, you're actually kind of... Um, she, she called me one of the brightest students in the class. And that compliment was something that I yearned from that type of compliment compliment from my father. Never got it. So when I heard it from the teacher, I was like, oh, cool. So I used to go hard. So I became a straight A student. In sports, same thing. You, know, you get a good hit on the football field, American football. Um, you, you get a, a good hit and the coach runs on the field and smacks you on the helmet. That's what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, I've been yearning that. So I went extra hard. Mm. Um, the only time that I felt whole completely was when I was introduced to Christ. And so for about five years from the time I was 12 to 17, um, I just poured in everything into to learning more about God, to, to fellowshiping more with God and, and that, that communion with God. And I was okay. I didn't feel the need for anything. And um, then it was time to leave home and I lost my virginity. Uh And that decision made me look at myself like I was a failure because I couldn't, I couldn't hold out to marriage. This is the one thing that a man can give to another woman that nobody else can Uh, money, love, all those things. Uh Anybody can give to a woman. So um, when I made that mistake, it was one of those things. I wasn't vulnerable. Mm. And I held it in. So instead of me just understanding that God was going to forgive me and that he knows that I'm human, um, and that's the point of grace and mercy, Mm. I joined the military. And when I joined the military, I began to run. Now, I kind of separated from the church a little. So that that void that was filled is now wide open and um, just got physical um, physically involved for the first time. So that part of me is now open again too. And nobody knows me. Um, 900, 1500 miles away from home. Um, I can do what I want without any preconceived judgments or knowledge. So um, I started uh, mingling. 
And <laughs> when I started mingling, um, I found out that I was pretty good at it. And, <laughs> and, and that was the problem because it wasn't about me. It, it wasn't about me trying to please me in any way. It was all about that person. So unknowingly, I probably put it in another gear. And now there's emotions on the other side that I don't particularly share. Um, and whose fault is it? It's both of ours, you know, yeah. consenting some things. I don't know if we were adults, but um, but for me, it, it said, I love you. And it said that you matter. And it says that you was worth something because the compliments and the way that I saw her react, um, those were the things that was like, okay, yeah, yeah, you you belong somewhere, you know. Um, so that was the introduction to to the world of physical intimacy, oh. and it was the wrong one because not having a father around, I met a I met a female, and um, she tells me she's pregnant a couple months down the road, and I didn't want to be like my father was, so I was like, hey, I need to talk to your father, I need to ask for your hand in marriage, and. Um, I'll fast forward to the end of that story. You can ask details if you like, but um, at the end of that story, let's see. A guy answered my phone when I was in another country, called home at three o'clock in the morning and two children later, neither one of them mine, which I didn't know until the end either. Um, I was, I was damaged. I was like, you know, not, not like I don't want anything to do with women, like not to that extreme, but relationships would never happen again. That's that's the way I felt. I was like school women, but not really school women. Like I won't let them go. I just won't feel to be serious and, and give my heart to another one. So after that, it was it was game on. And I was honest. And I was like, look, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm about. If you cool with it, I'm cool with it. If not, hey, it is what it is. Um, just move on and find somebody that that fits your profile. Um, and I started to notice that. I became pretty good noticing people who had the same issues I did. Um, find, seeing a female with daddy issues, you could see them a mile away. And it was like the complimenting, the paying them attention, the making them feel like they're worth it. I mean, that was the same thing that I was looking for. Uh -huh. And it's crazy how that became the thing that turned me into a savage. Um, further, a little further along, um, got remarried again. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't healed. Um, I thought I was better because, you know, that honeymoon phase where everything is great yeah. and every, like, there is no wrong. He, he looks at you and smiles. It just makes your insides tingle. <laughs> when to touch you and how to touch you when you've had a bad day. And it's like, all of that was popping. So it was like, okay, I'm better. But I really wasn't. I didn't deal with anything. I was just feeling that, that instant bliss. Um, further along in the relationship, things get funky. I start reverting back to who I used to be because I never got better. And one, I was holding all this stuff in. Um, so that, that's the story of it. And that's, I, so the first relationship I was a victim, after that, um, I became the victimizer. And then I had a conversation with God and he was like, yeah, you got to fix you. And that's when I started to truly look at me like what what did I do not not putting in I, I didn't even look at what was done to me 
I took that completely off the table and I focused simply on me. What could I have done better? What could I have avoided? What um, did I embrace that I should have pushed away? Mm. So, so going to the, what happened in the first relationship? Because you know, you, you, you can't drop a bomb like that and then just not expect any details. I was like, what? I was like, ah! I was like, oh my gosh. So okay. like, what what I mean, how long were you in it for? And like um yeah, okay, what, so what happened? We we met. I was 19. Yeah, I was 19 when we met. And um I was a young soldier. Um like away from home for the first time. And um I was responsible, like I cooked. I cleaned, had my own, and everything was cool. So I'm at the club and I see this, I see this girl from across um, the dance floor, and she kept smiling at me. We, you know, eventually we we exchanged pleasantries, and um, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking, but um, first night, like it, it was, it was like the chemistry was right. Um, I think I go back to her place, and from that point. I think for me, I don't remember not spending time with her. Like I would drive, she lived 40 minutes, um, about a 40 mile drive. I don't know, it's that about 55 kilometers, but 45, 40 miles, 50, 55 kilometers from each other. So I would get up, um, I would go get off of work. I would drive to her dorm where she lived off, off campus and I would drive to her apartment and I would be there until three in the morning when it's time for me to get up and go to work. And that was every day. And then the weekend she'd come down and spend with me. Um, so it was intense. Um, and yeah, there, there was a couple things that, that I, I picked up that I didn't know. And, and maybe um, sexually, it was a sexually charged relationship. Let me just say it that way. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it was fluent. It was like, Every everything was was natural. Everything felt right. Um, so yeah, being young and stupid, and another one of those things. Yeah, me and contraceptives at the time. I was like, yeah. so I assumed it was my child um, because we're sleeping together unprotected six six days out of the week, uh-huh. multiple times a day. Uh-huh. And that that's that was the start of our relationship. Yeah, we had we had conversation, but it, it wasn't based on a friendship at all. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was sex jumped. And then it's like we added to it as it went. And uh, when she told me she was pregnant, here, here's the part where, I sh- where you're going to be like, wow, you, you should have listened. Her father looked me in the eye and he was like, you're too good for my daughter. And he was like, um, she's what? not ready. For- he said, oh. she's not she's not ready for marriage. You need to run. Mm. Wow, and, um, and dad said that. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Mm-mm. So I it's I, I was I wasn't confused, but it was a lesson that I had to, to learn myself. Cause if I if I couldn't listen, and he was a he was a man of integrity, like uh-huh. he was a minister. I mean, he, he had three foster children, like they he was he was very believable, but in the space that I was in, I was like, I can't leave this woman pregnant. I was like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see that side of it. And maybe I don't see that, didn't see that side of it because I was wide open. 
wasn't thinking about nothing but when to see again and what what we was gonna do and that was that was like the driving force. Uh-huh. So we got married. Um, she she had the baby. Um, like I said, I cooked, I cleaned, I did laundry, I worked, paid for school. Um, I stopped going out because, like at that point in life, the only reason I went out was to find this right now. That was that was my primary purpose anyway. Well, not the only reason, but that was my primary purpose. So when I found her, I was like, I'm good. But she still kind of wanted to go out. So every now and then she said she'd go out with the girls and um, she wasn't going out with the girls. She was going out with a guy that she's married to today. Shout out to them. Happy them. They've been married for about 18 years now. But um, yeah. So she yeah, she was going out with another guy this entire time. And he was the baby's father. Um, so how she's the time... Between two of them, I, your guess is better than mine. Wow. Um, but yeah, it, it it ended up horrible because I, I didn't find out until um, I went on a deployment to Korea. And it's a 15-hour time difference. And I called home um, and the guy answers my phone. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was the beginning of the Well, it was kind of over at that point. But um, yeah, it took that for me to see it. But the signs were always there. Mm. Um, I, I just ignored them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's. Um, oh, well, it, it it gets even funnier because she wasn't there to pick me up when I got back from the floor, which is cool. I was like, cool, whatever. We ended up going to the field on the exercise. I, I moved out by this time. Um, but I'm the only person with my last name on the entire military installation. And um, I'm at the hospital because I got stung in the in the throat by a hornet. Uh-huh. So they had to rush me to the ER. It just so happens she's in the room next to me, which is not even a room. It's a cubicle with a curtain separating the two. And the doctor said, Miss Goodson, um, you're not sick. You're pregnant. Now, at this point, it's about five, six months since me and her had been intimate. So yeah, that's when... Still didn't say that. And a couple of days later, she tried to call me. But um, the females that I worked with, they were like super overly protective. And I was the little brother. And so, yeah, they would have words for every time she called. So she came by my place. And yeah, that's when the first time I ever called a female out of her name. And um, I felt like running over with a with a tank. <laughs> that's what. I, but I asked, I was like, when you were going to tell me you were pregnant? And at that point, I, I knew it was there was no hope of anything anyway. But um, I was like, now my kid may not be my kid. I want a DNA test and found out that my son wasn't my son. So that was the start of the savagery. It was not having the father, yeah. then realizing that I was good at something. Yeah. And then the, the feedback or the, the way um, the reaction, getting that in conjunction with having that type of relationship, I just didn't care anymore. It was all about doing me. Mm. No, this is um, really uh, interesting to hear because I've got clients and I've got friends who have been in similar situations and or it's been a case where the, the woman has purposely got herself pregnant intentionally to 
trap them or they find out the child's not theirs. And they had this season of seriously, they didn't care about any woman. They didn't even care about themselves. They were just out there. And, you know, um, it does make me look at things in a different perspective. And um, to even look at the uh, your, the own the, the stories and the way I may have looked at um, other male figures in my life, and thought oh why were you like that what you know to truly question because you don't know someone's history and you don't Mm. know someone's um what someone's been through and how that completely changes the dynamics of how they feel and what um what I want to know excuse me is how I mean you said you decided to go and follow Christ again and you need to sort yourself out How did you feel? What was the feeling like in those moments when you were just wilding out? You know, did was there any real love or self care for yourself? Um, to answer that honestly, absolutely not. I mean, I, I could lie to myself and say yes, but um, the the way it normally happened, it, it was like a roller coaster ride. Um, it it was when you were on the hunt, the prowl, if you will, or when you was talking to a female that you, you're getting to know, um, everything leading up to it was like going up on the roller coaster and you hear the you enjoying every single thing around you. Everything's perfect. The field is perfect. You know you're safe. You're you're um, locked in. And then after the sex, which was fulfilling, but it's temporary. Uh-huh. And it, it, it felt amazing. Um, and for me, it, it was even what what took it over the top was it was never about me because it didn't take much for that. I wanted to literally. I, I literally my aim was to make you forget about anybody you ever knew. Uh-huh. Like I, I wanted to be I wanted to be the new standard. And so. It, it was a mindset that 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 whole thing it, it was trying to get to that place because that's what i was seeking uh, i didn't get the the love that i want outside of the relationships or i didn't get the adulation that i needed outside of the relationship so if if i can if if i can have you say that um you never want another man to touch you or i've never felt this way or better yet you don't say anything and your body can't stop moving those are the things that excited me so that was the energy that i brought and it felt great until you're laying there next to this person Uh and you're looking at them like you know she's cool but i can't spend my life with her i don't i don't want i don't want to I, i can't see myself with her five years from now i can't see myself with her 10 years from now so it's like you don't realize the pain that you're going to cause when you walk away, but because you can't hold on, you're going to walk away. And it's that time at the time, at the time, at the time, at the time. So it's like, yep, I'm enjoying this feeling on the way up to it. Okay. We're here. We're here. I got the desire. I got the reaction I, I was looking for, but there's not enough here to hold me. And I moved on and I, I liken it to this. If, if you think about being a soldier um, on the battlefield, 
when you get shot, they have to get you off the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And they get you off the battlefield for two reasons. One, to save your life and to repair what's been broken, what's been missing. Mm -hmm. They have to clean it. It's a painful process. They got to take dead tissue out. They got to go in and, and mm -hmm. take fragments of bullets and bone or whatever out. It's not an easy, it hurts, it's painful. Mm. And then they have to mend the wound. And then you have to rehabilitate the wound. So you got that part of you got that part of, of being taken out the battlefield. The second part, the second reason they take you out the battlefield, because you were a person that held some type of responsibility. And now that you're bleeding on the battlefield, mm. not only can you not hold your responsibility, but the people who you protect their flanks, they're now in jeopardy because you're not what you're supposed to be. So what happens is we get injured and we get wounded and we're still straggling on the battlefield like we're okay. And what happens is we don't get any help. So we get worse and we continue to hurt people, hurt people. Um, we continue to have that mentality. And what happens after that is the people who are expecting us or holding us accountable for certain things whether that's the spouse, whether that's our children or any other relationship we have, now they're being hurt because now they're fighting whatever they got to fight plus the things that you were supposed to cover. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely important when you're in a place like I was to get off the battlefield and, and to get taken care of, to, to get that help. Um, sometimes spiritual counseling can do it for you. Some people like me, that, that wasn't enough. Because because of my spirituality, it made it worse for me because of my relationship with Christ, because the church, at least in America, I don't know how it is in, in the good old UK, but the church in America, um, sometimes if you if you're talking about tradition, uh -huh. um, it'll make you feel worse. Oh, I can't stop. I love sex and I can't stop. Oh, you're going to hell. And it's, it's all they talk about is the negative side of things. They don't. A lot of times you don't get somebody saying, you know what? Sex is natural. It's not that it's wrong. You just got to learn to put boundaries up. You just got to learn to value certain things and, and get a certain image of what it's supposed to be. But you don't get that. The, the condemnation that you feel, you forget that the Bible says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus because you're welcoming it. I, I can't be right. I was supposed to be saved and I slept with somebody else. Uh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be a Christian and, and I want to masturbate at night. Uh, those, those are real things. Those are real emotions. And when we don't talk about them, what happens is, is people stay stuck in those positions because dudes, I'm pretty sure that, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go on. How many, how many dudes that you know that would admit that they're ashamed of watching porn? How many people have you ever, how many males have you known to talk about porn in a negative light that's not a preacher? I've never known a man that's just, I've never known a man that's ashamed to talk about it, in all fairness. Some right. can be shy. I have, I've, you know, some can be shy. They don't want to talk about exactly what they've explored. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's usually the detail. It's like, yeah, I've I've seen. I do watch pornography, but they won't go into the detail because the judgment comes into that point when they get into right. the detail. Then I've, have have they ever have they ever talked negative about it though, or were they just like, yeah, I watch it, or yeah, I watch this person. I, you know, what? I've had a couple that have. 
I had a couple that have but said they felt it took away from mm -hmm. their intimacy. Um, but and, they and, and that's that vulnerability. Look, mm -hmm. this is a hard thing to admit, but the, the, the reason porn can be so deadly is because it can be exactly what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. A certain position, a certain mm -hmm. sound, a certain movement, mm -hmm. um, a certain look. You can get exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. and, and it messes you up because your spouse isn't looking at the beautiful woman that he's looking at. He's not looking at his, his, his wife or, or his significant other. He's seeing that image. And now you're competing with her. Mm. Um, and there are several dudes that may not admit it, but sometimes they can't even get to a climax without seeing her do a certain thing. So while you and while you and your significant others together, you got to think about another person just to get there. Wow. And, that's the, and those are the things that will destroy your relationship. No, no man, but especially no woman wants to be giving you her all, giving you her best. And, and you thinking about another chick while she's doing it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, and, it's funny you say that because I had a friend who got divorced and one of the things in the divorces was the fact that he had a porn addiction and mm -hmm. he was a Christian guy. And he said she realised that there was an issue in the bedroom and she couldn't put her finger on it for years. Mm -hmm. She couldn't figure it out until she checked his laptop and realised that he had a porn addiction. It's, it's a reality. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and I had my moments in, in that arena, too, you know. Uh -huh. So that's that's why I'm like when I was going through these things, uh -huh. unlike most men, most men keep things to themselves. Most men don't they don't want anybody in their business. They don't want to see they don't want anybody to see them weak. Uh -huh. They don't want anybody to see them human, basically, because that's what it boils down to. Uh -huh. So we keep it in. And when we talk about it. It was like, yeah, you seen her? Yeah, she thick. She she can do this. She can do that. That's about the conversation. Nobody's gonna have the conversation, man. You might want to you might want to ease back on that. You know, I was watching that for a couple of years, and and um, I started having issues with my wife, and she started figuring it out. Like, real talk. Yeah. My wife, who loved everything that I did. My ex who loved everything that I did in the bedroom, no issues whatsoever, anytime, whenever. She would be in the bedroom and I would be in the office on the computer. Uh -huh. Like, literally, I, I got real life woman right down the hallway and I'm on I'm on the computer. It uh, don't uh -uh. make sense. Uh -uh. It, but that's 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 how it that's how it, it ropes you in and it keeps you there because Nobody's fitting to go say, hey, bro, I got a porn problem. I can't stop thinking about this. I, I need to watch this at least at least five times a day. I go on lunch break in the car and I'm looking at it. Like it's it's that real for some people. Uh -huh. And they 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 trap themselves in four walls. They got the key, but they stay in those situations. Uh, so how did you break yourself out of that? Um loss. Um, taking losses uh -huh. um, after my last divorce uh 
I, I was realistic. I was like, okay, I'm still not a bad looking dude. I was like, um, career wise, I'm straight. I was like, I'm, I'm an intellectually challenging guy. I was like, I got a lot of good things going for me. So physically, I was like, yeah, I can attract the woman that I want. But then I looked and I, I was honest with myself. I was like, here I am, two divorces and got three children and 37. I was like, the woman that I'm going to want, the woman that I'm going to be attracted to, I mean, the look and the brains and everything else that she she has to bring to the table. I was like, I'm never going to see that. I was I was being real. I, I'm looking at myself. I was like, yeah, as a person, I'm great. But I was like looking at my resume. I wouldn't hire me if I was a woman and I'm 30 to, to 40. And I got myself together and I don't need no headaches. And here's this dude that's been divorced twice. I don't care how cute he is or, uh-huh. or how how much he can make my mind just like, oh wow. Uh, I I would be I would be like, hey, yeah, you might be good to have fun with, but I can't spend my life with you. Uh-huh. So I got to a point where I'm like, I'm about to be an old lonely dude. And I don't want to be by myself. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I love the idea of love and and um, not not having that as a part of my life, it wasn't something that I was ready for. But I, I said to myself, either I change, or yeah. it's going to continue to happen exactly the way it's been happening. Uh-huh. It kind of led me to writing for, uh, my first book, um, Excessive Baggage. You got to yeah. get rid of yeah. You got to get rid of some things before you move into the okay. next part. Sure, which is lovely. I mean, so then we're talking about. You know, the spiritual guidance wasn't enough for you. So what did it take? I went to counseling. And 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 I think that it wasn't as much as the spirit wasn't enough. It was my understanding of the spirit wasn't enough. Okay. Um, first thing he told me, he was like, you know, it's, it's okay to have emotions. They're natural. He was like, they're not a good thing. They're not a bad thing. He mm-hmm. was like, it's a God thing. He was like, it, it's God's way of telling you something's off balance. Uh-huh. It was like, so when you have an emotion, he was like, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge it. Uh-huh. It was like, he, he was like, when you fight emotions, he was like, just think about it. How, how long are you going to be able to fight? Eventually, you're going to be stressed out and you're going to be burnt out. And then whatever you're going up against, you're going to lose anyway because you're, you're out of energy. Uh-huh. Um, so he was like, acknowledge the emotion. He was like, if you're feeling angry, why are you feeling angry? What, what did you do to make you feel angry? Uh-huh. And I started marking some things out and I started to identify indicators. Um, and then the biggest thing was he was like, you're a Christian, but you got feelings that God says you can't have or you shouldn't have. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you don't think that God knew you was going to fail at this point in your life, that, that you was going to like this, that this was going to feel good to you. He was like, he created you. He was like, that was the whole purpose for grace and mercy because we need it. And then he was like, so you got to start looking at yourself the way God does and stop trying to make yourself out to be the, the next thing coming of God. He was like, yeah, you want to you do the right things, but when you mess up, uh-huh. he was like, God forgives you. And then he cleanses you. He was like, so why are you still fighting with it? Uh-huh. And, that's, and that was that traditional side of church thing because when I saw a liar, when I saw somebody who lied or stole something and repented for that, 
I was like, oh, those easy things. Uh-huh. But when when I did this again, and it was like, it's done burnt. I done stuck my hand in fire 15 times this week. Oh. And I haven't learned. It was like, I don't deserve it. But what I was doing is I was digging a hole that kept putting me in a deeper predicament when uh-huh. God was already telling me, you ain't got to fight with this. Okay, you did it. You messed up. Get over yourself. Get moving. But I wasn't, I wasn't getting over myself and getting moving. I was just sitting there feeling sorry for myself because here I am. She was fine and I just couldn't, I can't stop thinking about it. And then I had to call it. No, get over yourself. Uh-huh. Put some parameters, put put up some, some boundaries, get over yourself and let's work on how not to do it again. And that that's where I got to the point. Um, when I started, it took counseling to to get me to see the, the religious or the spiritual side of things. Uh-huh. And that's, that's when I, dramatically got better so that see that's that's wonderful that you've really kind of understood and you've touched on boundaries there so what advice would you give people who are initially starting a relationship or before they even get into one um it's better to build a friendship first because if you build it off anything other than friendship, believe me, um, I got numbers in, in areas that I would be ashamed to admit, but I was great at that, but it didn't keep me married. Uh-huh. Eventually, it's not enough. So build a relationship on a friendship, because if you build it on anything other than a friendship, when it gets old and it, the novelty wears off and it doesn't feel as good or she's just another woman in that aspect of you, you're going to have more. So if you if you haven't built it off of a friendship, you, you're not going to have anything. Okay. Well, that's true. Um, I, I do believe in that. I do believe that friendship is a solid foundation. And I also think it's good to truly know yourself because like you mentioned earlier you know it was all good at the honeymoon period but you hadn't done the work you hadn't done the healing and that right that's a dangerous game that one right there because the honeymoon period can last a long time thanks i had to walk away i I had to leave a 10-year marriage wow no nobody wants to walk away from that i mean I, i won't there's nothing negative I can say about her. She was a great woman. I messed up. And then when I got it right, it's too little, too late, you know? Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, you you going into any relationship, before you even get ready for a relationship, make sure you're you're okay. Make sure you've addressed the issues that are inside of you and you've unpacked the, the baggage from past relationships and past situations whether that's intimacy or that's family or jobs or anything else, make sure you take all the baggage from your last leg of the journey and you only take with you what you need for the next part of the journey. You could, you could fly home to Jamaica to, okay. to visit your, your grandparents um, tomorrow and British Airways are going to let you take whatever you want to take on the plane. But if you take over what they prescribe you take, it's going to cost you. You got to pay for it. Yeah. So it's the same thing in relationships. When it's time for you to start traveling and move to the next leg, whatever you you bring in that's not authorized, you can bring it all you want, but it's going to cost you. It is. Oh, I love my analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> it's so true. It is so true, you know. And um, it will cost you. You just don't know when it's going to cost you. But it eventually does Absolutely. come back around, you know. Mm-hmm. So what I want you to talk about is how do you stay, I guess, um, grounded and aware of your emotions throughout your relationship with yourself and the relationship with your wife and your children? Accountability. That's It, it starts with accountability. Um, one, you, you can't lie to yourself. If, if you can't be honest with me, you'll never be honest with anybody. So that's number one, accountability to self. And then you, you need to have some people that you trust um, with the intimate details of your life. Uh, if, if you're a woman, you need to have a woman that's a little, that's a little um, wiser than yourself, um, who's not afraid to tell you in love that, hey, you're messing up. If you're a dude, you need, to, you need that, that guy that you can call at three o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, my wife just had an argument. I don't know what it is. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I want to do. You need somebody who can tell you, no, you're tripping, right? Um, I'm going to hit you back in the morning to make sure you're good. Hey, remember the last time you you started going on Facebook Messenger looking through your old messages. Now, so, so go ahead and set your Facebook message down for the night and, and go to sleep. You know, you need that accountability. Um, without accountability, you're always setting yourself up to be vulnerable around people who don't care about you. Yes, I agree. Because then you are spreading yourself too thin and putting your trust in people that don't have the best in, but don't have the best interest for you. And I feel like that's where you have to be very discerning about uh, you know the spirit of discernment and to be discerning about the people who are around you and why they're there and Mm -hmm. to fill them out because I guess everyone has a season off their trials and tribulations and it's nice to help people get through that at the same time as well you know you can be putting your you know another thing that I've noticed that people do and men do they end up bonding with their partners based on trauma like trauma bonding things that Mm -hmm. negative that's happened and that's just not helpful again because the relationship just becomes toxic because you both need healing absolutely um and you know i I used to be a police officer for a little bit um and with domestic abuse cases that what you just said it was evident every single time Uh um I've seen women who didn't want to be in situations, um, but didn't know how to leave the situation either. And they, and they, there was a weird symbiotic relationship, um, but she felt like she needed him, but there was nothing she was getting out of the relationship, but they bonded over. Sometimes it it was the violence. Um, it, It was almost like she started accepting that as I love you. Wow. Um, I, I had um, a female who stabbed my partner because we we arrested a dude that just broke her ribs and probably I think she had some lacerations and some contusions. He, she was really messed up, um, and and we were arresting her boyfriend, and um, she stabbed my partner. So it's that bond is strong. Wow. And and I like to think that emotional that emotional trauma is probably more. Um, it's probably stronger than, than the physical um, bonding, um, binding. 
Yeah, I would say so because it's uh, it's feeding something in them. Mm. You know, I reckon it's feeding some part of them that has not been in the recognition loop to say, you know, when you were saying, oh, you've done well or getting that pat on the back to say, you know, this is where it's come from, from it's a mother, father, brother, sister. They're not in that recognition loop. And all of a sudden, you know, even if it's something destructive, it's just recognition of their existence because their self-worth is so far down the the pan, I guess, you know, down the toilet. And that and that leads to the the probably the biggest thing that helped me get to the place where I'm now, self-evaluation. Mm. Um you 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 gotta get to the point where you take everything off the table but you. What, what have you done that's right? What have you done that can change? Um, and then document it, write it down so you can see it. Document the effort that you, so you can track your changes. So you can track your progress, I should say. Um, but you gotta be real with yourself because all you gotta do is keep waking up and you're gonna be just like your grandparents one day. Uh. And um there and like I said, when I realized that I was going to be old and by myself, I'm an extrovert. That's worse than death for me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's yeah. I, I need people, and, and I know, and and I know I do. I just got to put boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I believe in that. It's very important. It's very important. Boundaries of your behavior. Boundaries. Boundaries in terms of your mindset. You know, your thoughts, there has to be solid boundaries in our lives, um, even down to the kind of people that you surround yourself with. Because I'm a big um, advocate on the fact that, especially when you've got a family, there's got to be certain boundaries in terms of the kind of people you entertain that bring come into your life, that are influencing mm-hmm. your children, influencing your wife, influencing yourself, you know, because you don't have the right people planting the good seeds and watering you in the right way you know they're going to give you that water that's toxic they're going to sprinkle you that that water that needs that's got all these residual you know mm-hmm. um this re- residue in there of um of toxication and you don't want that you're absolutely right because I, I i live by a principle that everybody is either a influenced mm-hmm. or b being influenced Mm-hmm. So it's either you're doing the influencing or you're being influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being said, I don't care how or where you are in life, whatever you had an issue with, that doesn't go away. It mm-hmm. just goes with conditioning yourself to be resistant in areas. Mm-hmm. Like, I know me. My, my, my thing was always a beautiful face with an intelligent mind. Mm-hmm. So... Now I have to be honest with myself because it's not like, oh, I got saved for real. And, and now I don't see other people and like, oh, she's no, that is I'm still me. Mm-hmm. I just got to be real with me. Yes, she cute. But if you do that, what are you losing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might feel this way. But is it worth the peace that you have at night? Yeah. So I just I just you got to find ways to be real with yourself and keep yourself honest. Um, my, my mom used to say a lock is only to keep an honest man honest. She was like, if somebody really want to get in the door, they're going to get in there anyway. Uh-huh. But every now and then people check stuff. Oh, you mean to tell me I could? Mm. Then by the time you bite, it's too late. 
now you now you back in that cycle again. Now you got to get yourself right. Mm, that's true. It's an addiction. It's creating new habits, isn't it? So, um, I think that's yeah. really important because if people don't address where that's coming from, if they don't truly heal that wound. You can put as many plasters as you want on the situation. It's just going to fall off and it's just going to leak all over again. Absolutely. And and the, and the beautiful thing about old wounds, mm-hmm. they always let you know where they are. Mm-hmm. Like I, I used to jump out of planes for a living when I was in, a, in, in the army. And um, I got a, a handful of knee problems now. I mean, I'm good. I can go run five miles if I had to. Um, but on a cold day, I can feel it in my joints. So it's like there's like um, I, I, I my thumb, um, I sliced it down to the bone and oh. right along the scar. I have no feeling there, but the the nerves on either side of the scar is extremely sensitive and it hurts just a little more than touching my skin. So mm-hmm. um, wounds have a way of reminding you, hey, you're, you're in a sensitive area again. You might want to be careful. Mm hmm. This is very true. This is very true. And um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of the wounds are, are reminders because especially the mind is reflective as well. So naturally the mind can cast itself to exactly what happened previously or cast itself to the feeling or the emotion. Um, and that can be triggered by anything. It can be triggered by music. It can be triggered by a smell it can be just triggered by something you see on the tv so wounds are always the the old wounds are still you know they sit there even if they don't actually hurt and they're healed you know that right. there is a, a, a slight reminder that the little footprints of life that are still um in your body absolutely absolutely and and i think that's uh, i think that's one of the reasons why we have to be vulnerable mm-hmm because sometimes people, the people that care about us the most, they go hard for, for whatever reason, but maybe they back off a little bit if they know it's a sensitive area for you, if they know it's the area that hurts when you apply pressure. So maybe they look at it differently. And then that could eventually change the whole concept of the relationship you're in. The question is, though, if those wounds still hurt when you've applied pressure, have they even really healed? I think so. Because um, mm-hmm. you, you have healed and you have whole, right? Mm-hmm. Healed means, I mean, from a sports point of view, mm-hmm. healed heal means um, the, the wound has been clean, it's been mended, and now it's in the process of being made whole. Whole is, yeah, you still may feel it, but is it functional? Can you still run on that on, on that um, ACL that's been blown? Can can you still write after breaking a, a finger? Um, can can you do whatever whatever it was created to do? Can you still do it? Now that's how you know you've returned the whole, but just like everything else that's been wounded, it's easier to wound again if you don't condition it and keep it in the right place. <laughs> okay. I love that. Yeah, that it does make sense. It's very true. I never even looked at it in that like respect in all fairness for that. Yeah. But it makes sense. It does. Yeah. Um, it if you scared if you scared of loving again, 
then you're you're not ready. You're still you're still pro- in that process. Mm-hmm. If if the first thought is he gonna break my heart, he gonna cheat on me, yeah, you still got some healing to do because mm-hmm. it, it ain't ready to do what it was supposed to, what it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. This is so true. This is so very true, and um, I, I believe that a lot of people will benefit from hearing this and um, really applying some of this to their lives to understand that you know there is growth in every part of the journey and we there's a, a reason for every season <laughs> and that's why Absolutely. I call it blossoming season because we consistently always blossom because we we learn something new every day you know um that allows us to bloom which is lovely um so yeah I, I really want to say thank you for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure to for you to share parts of your journey and um for you to give that realness you know that authenticity that I really feel that people need to hear and um and to kind of allow people to resonate and let it marinate in them you know and they can hear it over and over again and like we spoke about on uh, Clubhouse you know absolutely because I said we met Clubhouse oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Clubhouse is, is linked and connected a lot of good people. It has, hasn't it? I love it. It has. It has, absolutely. I love it. I love Clubhouse. Um, I mean, we got UK in the same building with Atlanta, Georgia. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. And I think I wanted to move to ATL, you know, about four years ago. And um, I didn't come over. Thought in about five years ago, I didn't come over because there's something to do with like employment law out there, and mm-hmm. I, I just didn't. And I was just like, mm, I don't know if I fancy going to ATL. But I was like, if it was one place I'd go, if it wasn't San Francisco, I'd definitely go to ATL because I like San Fran as well. It's really, it's really cool. Well, you you will definitely see a whole lot of your people, a little bit of everywhere. Oh, really? Um, you see a whole lot of the Caribbean, you see a whole lot of this. Um, yeah, we're, we're everywhere here. I mean. The South in general is is African um, descendant heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of like, if you go to Philly, Baltimore, New York, urban centers, you you will see it. But um, just like a little bit of everywhere, if, if you're anywhere in the South, we we heavy. But Atlanta is like it's the New York for Black people, if you will. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I have to touch down yeah. there. We're we're like 65 percent of the population of the city of Atlanta is black. So it's like you you see you doing everything, mm-hmm. like the the mayor, um, the police chief, mm-hmm. um, multi million dollar corporations, the movie industries with Tyler Perry. He has his own his own recording studio here. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's easy to be you and not feel it's. It's, it's like going to if imagine if you could go to school, um, go to college in Africa and, and they didn't look at you like you're you're from outside of Africa. But it's yeah. just like that feel. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 not bad here. Well, that's a good thing, because actually I was about to wrap it up and then I just thought of something else, because. I guess is that where you were raised and did you did you or you weren't raised in ATL or um, about about a five-hour drive north of here, still a, a heavily, um, a heavily black. I mean, the pop, the black demographics were still about fifty-fifty where I grew up. Okay, 
But did you see affluent um, black men and, and women there? Oh, absolutely. Okay, that's good. That's good. Absolutely. Yeah, like South Carolina, when you look at the slave trade, it's somewhere between 85 and 90% of every African that ever came to America, they, they, their first stop in America was in Charleston, South Carolina. Wow. So South Carolina is still kind of like that place where everybody has some ties or some roots to um, coming um, to this country. Matter of fact, the Bahamas has um, about half, my wife is from the Bahamas and about, we found out that about 60% of the um, original settlers of the Bahamas were slaves that ran away from South Carolina, went down to Florida and went to the Bahamas wow. and settled in the Bahamas. So yeah. Wow. That's, that's, wow, that's amazing. You know, I've always been intrigued though, why so many black, Af black Americans who, you know, who probably don't descend from like the Caribbean or, you know, who, who actually are coming straight from slavery have always decided to stay there, especially even when they've become successful living the American dream, why they've never chosen to truly go back into Africa and, I know there's a movement now that's happening. It's a it's, lot. It's, it's, it's one of these. It's, it's deep. It's a deep concept to me because America is, America can be funny. Like for me growing up, the Africa that I saw was starving children. Um, a dollar a day can feed an African family type commercials. Mm -hmm. That's that's what we grew up on. We we saw the National Geographic side of Africa. Mm. We we didn't see the Maldives or the Seychelles. We, we didn't we didn't see um, the coast of South Africa. We didn't see the rich culture of Timbuktu. We wasn't told about the mm. that well. And even when we told talked about Egypt, we we were it was talked about in an Arab sense. Um, like mm. like black culture didn't predate the Arab or the Persian um, invasions. So it's it's a lot of education here because like it's currently Black American History Month. It's it's currently Black History Month in America. Yeah. Uh -huh. So m for most people, this month is the only time they they get education on what we really are, what we came to came from, what we attributed to this country, to the world. Like America would be a third world country if it wasn't for the slaves and their descendants. Uh -huh. Like literally, would be a third world country. Uh -huh. um, the Civil War in America was started because the South wanted to continue to own slaves because it made them the richest region of the world, period. Uh -huh. um, so they went to war about it. And then after the war, like half of the inventions that that were created from America during that time. Well, if you're not a person in your property, you definitely can't own a patent. So you're a, you're a master who's making you do the work anyway they're getting the, the patents for things that you created. And our family and great-great-grandparents didn't want to spend 18 hours a day in a tobacco field. So they found a quicker way to do it. And who gets paid for it? The person who owned them. Yeah. And those, so there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ignorance. And I mean, in the truest sense of the word, there's a lot of ignorance in America uh -huh. um, among our com uh, community. Um, it's slowly starting to change. A lot of the younger generation, um, like me, I, I won't say I was an enigma during my generation, but 
um, I'd say you take the average American, the average black American, and they probably would know about 20% of the historical value that we had, if you compare them to what I know. Um, now, um, I'd say even the, the dude on the corner selling weed at the store, he, he, he can drop some nuggets on you. Um, so it, it's shifting. Um, but I, I just pray that it doesn't shift to a point where we, we forget that we got to move forward, not just point out what we, what we brought to the table and, and how wrong we were. Yeah, we were wrong. I mean, when you think about, imagine your dad being sold because somebody, the, the master or the overseer wanted your mom and he got into a fight. So the master sells your dad off. And after he sells your dad off, he coming to see you every night and there's nothing your mom can do or he, she might get sold or beat too. That was, that was the norm. So there's a, a, we're messed up in a lot of ways. And and I don't, I I like to just point those things out because there are conditions that we, we got to, to get treatment for um, whether that's mental, spiritual, whatever you you need to talk about those things because the, 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 um, the effects are passed along. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's why women have a hard time of calling cops on a on a black man sometimes mm-hmm. because they knew what happened to black men in the past when cops showed up, you know. Mm-hmm. So these little things trickle through generations um, after generations. But then Americans, we we don't understand the opportunities that we have either because mm-hmm. you you get an immigrant come here and they they see America for what it is. It's one big opportunity. Yeah. And and life is nine times different for an immigrant who's going to come here and, and work the system. America, black Americans, sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, school. It is what it is. Uh-huh. And you get a Jamaican, a Bohemian, an African, uh, an Asian, Pakistani, anybody else come uh-huh. over and it's like, oh, you mean to tell me I can get a loan over here and I can start a business over here? Okay, I'm going to get this business. I'm going to have all of my cousins work at this business. And then we're going to flip this and we're going to own four more businesses. Uh-huh. And before long, each one of us got our own houses, got four businesses a piece. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, we that that drive don't exist or didn't exist as much. Um, it's it's starting to increase a little. Um, but it's it's those those mental chains that nobody's ever had broken. Yeah, I do. It, it, it does start with the programming of the mind. I'm a hundred percent behind you with that one. Um, because I was in America for a while in like Indiana and um when I spoke to to some of the young people there, they just didn't know their history. They were fascinated by me, the fact that I was yeah. Jamaican. And, and, like, you was, and you was a Jamaican black girl with a British accent. Just yeah. blew their head, it just like. It, it literally just, I was like, are you serious? And it Look. literally was just blowing minds. Like um, we were in uh, Texas when we initially did the training and again, the same reception. And yeah, it was it was really interesting to kind of observe that. I was like 19 at the time. And it was like, well, can you dance like the girls in Sean Paul's video? And I was like, <laughs> you know, it was like, what mm-hmm. can you speak Pato? I was like, yeah. And they're like, what? Like, whoa. And I was just like, why don't you just, you know, you and to come back to your thing about pornography, which was interesting. It was a bunch of guys I'd knocked on the door because I was selling um, encyclopedias for children and they were watching some sort of animal pornography. And I was like, what? 
and the, I, I remember the females coming out and they were just very you know not really confident very in themselves and the guys are kind of giving the direction and I went into this whole um spiel about why they need to get their life together it was just like it was and right. why they need to just just get out of this hole and the girls are like where, where? and I was like what I was like no I was like it's not about the music videos it's not about sitting in the house smoking up the weed it's not about watching this animal farm whatever it was that we're watching on the pornography thing I was like and the as like there's so much more to life I was like you've come and met me because well because I've knocked the door I said mm-hmm. you can create that opportunity for yourself and go abroad I was like you know, I've been to Africa, I've been to different places and I was like, there's so much to see in the world than Absolutely. your your neighbourhood here. And they were just a yeah. bit like, what? Like, really, there's no... And I said, until you break the chain, the cycle, you're going to sit in here as younger people, have sex, raise children again with no wisdom. I said, yeah. it's just going to be a really horrible cycle for you. And then going back to what you said about the immigration thing, there was a Mexican lady, and um, it was sweltering hot, gosh, that year. And um, I'd knocked her door before, and then she saw me walking in the street, and I was just like, I was dying. And she she picked me up with her mm. daughter, she's, and the air con came in, and I was so happy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, yes. <laughs> it was that moment. Mm-hmm. And she was a single mother, and she was only living in like a one bedroom little kind of apartment thing and she was like yeah we've come from Mexico and blah 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 and she was figuring out how to like get she was like looking for like a three-bedroom house down there and like how to set up her business and she was ready to move and by the time I was leaving Indiana she'd moved into her new house she'd like set up her business and I was mm-hmm. like what and she was like I was like she, so I know what you mean that drive was different Absolutely. Yes, she was a single mom as well, but the drive was different because I genuinely feel because she had this opportunity now she'd come in from Mexico, she was right. like, yeah, I'm here to do this and, and I'm, I'm here to get, get it together and figure it out. So I know what you're talking about when you say that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I still remember the first time um, I had my mind blown by somebody like you. I was, um, it was September 10th, 2001, the day before 9-11, um, well, before the hijackers um, hit, drove, flew the planes into the yeah. World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And we landed at Heathrow. I was in the Army. And um, I was like, there's a McDonald's. So I go running over to the McDonald's. And there was a Black girl. And she probably was mixed, but she, she had like hazel colored eyes. And then she opened her mouth and she was like, welcome to McDonald's. How may I help? And I was like, it just, I froze. I know I'm in the UK, but I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. I was like, she looked like me, but she don't talk like me. I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, um, can I get a number one? She was like, sure. And then while the order was being made, was being made, we, we were talking. I told her that I was in the army and we were going to Kuwait. Um, and she was like, are you going to make battle? And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, say that again. Say it again. <laughs> but I know it. So I know exactly, I know exactly what you mean when you said that they looked at you like, and you're not supposed to be here. This yeah. don't sound there. Yeah. I'm, I'm used to it now. I'm used to it now. But um, back then it, it was like, 
wow, I know, but I didn't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, if, if you're living here, everybody got this accent. So, but everybody black in the world, I just expected to speak English and sound like me. Yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Yeah. Until you really see it. I mean, it's like, I remember when I was at university and I was dancing and I heard this guy go, oh, you look goody. And I was like, what? It's like, you look good, you look good. And I was turning around like, who's saying that? And it was the white guy. And I was like, what? And I was like, what? I was like, what? I was like, what? But, you know. He was turning around expecting the roster, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But funny. And like, and then his other friend was like, um, oh my goodness, I could tell you are from the Caribbean. I was like, you're from Barbados. So they were like brothers. And mm-hmm. one was raised in Barbados. And one was like raised in Jamaica, like because he preferred to be in Jamaica with his dad, and mm-hmm. the other one preferred to be Barbados with his mum. But they just like switch islands all the time. But one right. had like a proper, dr- and it was just it threw me. I was like, "You're full white." They're like, "Yeah," but they were actually from England because their parents decided they wanted to go and live in the Caribbean, but they couldn't decide, so they had that kind of like marriage. Uh... I was like, "That's just nuts." But obviously, I've got white in my family in Jamaica. I've got Chinese in my family in Jamaica. I've got Asian in my family. I'm used to hearing it. Yeah, but it's just when it happened. And I remember, was it a couple of years, no, about three, four years ago, I was walking in Birmingham and I heard this woman, like, cutting some hard patwa and then mm. moving into Mandarin. I was like, what? I was like, yeah. it was. I was like... Literally, I was. I started to follow her. That's how like intrigued I was. I was following her down the street to see what she looked like, and she was like, "She's like, yeah, I'm full Chinese." She's like, and she's she came with the phone. She's like, full Chinese, but she's like, but she was like from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, she's gonna speak Pata, but then my parents taught me Mandarin, so she's like, yeah. So just like wow. I was like, she was chopping in between Pata and Mandarin. I was like. That's a whole new level. I was I was like calling my it's, mom like what? <laughs> that it, it it literally will blow your mind, and that's and that's why I know that at the at the heart of everything we're one people. We are. We and if we get past, we're we're more alike than we ever be different, mm-hmm. and that's that's always a struggle. Mm-hmm. Just focusing on the things that we have alike, mm-hmm. because you're right in Jamaica. I, the first time I, I watched and listened to a Chinese person speaking patois, I just I was like, "Wow, <laughs> okay, okay." I, I, any, I, there was nothing left for me to say. <laughs> I was in Korea and I knew a little bit of Korean, little little Hangul, and um, Korean chick started speaking Spanish to a dude that walks and I'm just like, okay, I'm behind the power curve. I just. (laughs) Well, I think it's just nice, isn't it? To see it. It's nice that we are all one people and it's just, um, yeah, it was, I think it was the Mandarin thing because I'm used to seeing Chinese like Jamaicans because they're in my family. But to see her chopping it between Mandarin and like patois, I was a bit like, wow, like and sounding like she belonged in both cultures. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, this is different, you know? So it was it was nice to see. And um, yeah, and it's funny how you mentioned the whole again, the whole immigration thing that came up in Clubhouse probably a couple of hours ago. 
and he was Jamaican immigrant and he's just like he's with a black American woman mm. and she's like going through her doctorate and whatever she's doing and he's gone she seems very much in the system complacent whereas he he's like I'm entrepreneurial it's gone I've come from Jamaica I came from humble beginnings I'm making my money I'm hustling I can see all the different ways to make money she's just like no I'm middle-class America black American and I'll just get my doctorate get my is it 401k and boom boom and be done and he's not like that different different kind of um drive so yeah and he described it as poison to him to go home to that and I was like wow that's intense it's like toxic he felt it was not see that that's that that's that's why I believe that um I I don't even think it's a cultural thing I I think culture plays a part Mm -hmm. but I I think at the end of the day it's the part about being equally yoked you got to match my hustle yeah I could have more than you you could have more than me and that's cool but does our hustle match and Mm -hmm. if, if the hustle matches that means that Whatever you put an effort in, I'm gonna put the same amount of effort in, and and we're gonna work because you're never gonna outdo me to the point like you you grew, you ever been out on a farm like an old school farm with horses horse drawn yeah. mm-hmm. so so you 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 have what they call a yoke and you got one animal on this side one animal on this side so if one animal outworks the other this is what happens. Uh-huh. And, and you can't farm, uh-huh. so you need two animals that got that same that same effort, and and that's why it, some people just make it um, a religious thing. Well, if you're a Christian and he's a Christian, y'all both are equally yoked. Y'all can be no messed. You can still be messed up. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, he has to have the same hustle you got. You see, I don't. You see. Again, I'm a bit, because the, the group was in regards to, can a serial entrepreneur, like, have a successful relationship with a 9 to fiver? And I genuinely think that there can be, because it's got to be deeper than just the hustle, the, the, the intimate connection that's there. There can be a wonderful crossover uh, that brings peace to both parties. I just genuinely do think that. No, you, you're right, because um, at the end of the day, what what's going to matter the most is whatever it is you value uh-huh. you you make time for what you value uh-huh. if 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 i if i value looking into your eyes every day uh-huh. if i value holding your hand every day uh-huh. hearing you breathe when i'm tired my head on your chest then i'm going to make room for that i'm going to make time for that uh-huh. but if i value the money more than i value you uh-huh. then you're going to take a back seat to that so whatever a person values, where that's where their heart is, mm-hmm. and that's what they make time for. Mm-hmm. Very true. I agree. Completely agree with you there. Yeah. Yep. Good. Oh gosh, look at that! We went on to a whole other subject. <laughs> but again, that is also to do with vulnerability to be able to express yourself freely. You know. Um, as men and that's down to what you truly value what you truly want and to express that because again in the clubhouse room he then admitted he hadn't communicated that and that is because of lack of vulnerability to be intimate with himself and intimate with his partner absolutely yeah this has been fun gotta do this again I know it's been great I know but you're you're gonna have to take it and pencil me in somewhere else in your book I will do. I will definitely. Well, I'll hold you to it now. Yeah, I don't worry. I will. I'm a woman of my word. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Okay. Um, but it was lovely to have you on, Dwayne, and um, definitely got to catch up with you again soon. Um, I'm sure there'll be some wonderful topics that we can discuss. I'm, I'm, I could go wherever. I'm, I'm like a, a renaissance man. Okay. Oh, lovely. I like that. <laughs> right. I don't know. What time is it over there? Um, I think it's right, uh, 4.22. 4.22. 4.22. Yep. Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Oh, the kid's about to get me. <laughs> oh, okay. Ah! <laughs> okay. Well, enjoy it's, the children. See these bags under my pretty... I used to have beautiful skin. I, it used to look like yours underneath. But you see the bags? Listen, I, I need to get myself to sleep. I don't see any high bags at all. Your skin's still looking fresh to me. It, it used to be better. Okay, it's not to, It's not what you're used to. What you're used right, to. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Not horrible, but... Okay, okay. <laughs> don't get me up. All right, take care and thank you so much. Absolutely. Talk to you again soon. Most definitely. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of its Blossoming Season podcast. And what is reason for the season? (laughs) The reason for the season is men's vulnerability. And men, we see you, we feel you, and we support you. And if you feel that this episode has been beneficial for yourself, or you feel it will be beneficial for anyone else that you know, Send it on to a friend, a family member, a work colleague, to a stranger that you just bump into in a coffee shop. It really doesn't matter. Um, If you want to get in contact with myself or anyone on the episodes, the links are always below. You can find me at Blossoming Seasons, that's plural, on Instagram. You can find me at Dana Taylor on LinkedIn. Or you can come directly to the website, which is www.blossomingseason, that's just with the N, <laughs> .com. Okay, everyone, send you all lots of love, and I'll see you next week, Wednesday, 7 p.m. BST. Uh, find out what it means to me. <laughs> Take care. Mwah.